Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. 10 a.m. got some juice today. Okay. I like that. I like that. Worship got y'all, didn't it? That was pretty good. Go tell it on the mountain, man. That's a classic. Shout out to, you know, Little Kids Church. Dude, you know what I love about Kid City? Our, we're writing music for our kids. They're going to be singing in 20 years, and those are going to be the new songs, Go Tell It on the Mountain and all the nursery rhymes that we know. Man, shout out to our kids team, man. Shout out to Modi and everyone else back there. So give them a round of applause real quick. It's the coolest thing in the world. Our kids are going to go farther than we do. Um, man, wanted to say thank you guys for being here. Welcome to City Life. There's a week until Christmas. And, y'all, I just love gathering. This past week, we were away. Uh, some of our staff, our staff was on retreat, really just trying to hear from God, get space, and think about what 2023 has in store for this family and what God is speaking. And I'll be honest, it was kind of weird because I don't... I don't tend to miss a lot of Sundays at City Life. Uh, it's kind of like natural rhythm for us. And so to be away was like not hanging out with your family. It's like you come home for dinner and like, you're like, where's everybody at? Uh, so I'm super grateful to be back, but Ron killed it. We got to listen to that message and it ministered to me. And so this teaching is gonna be somewhat of a part two of that conversation that Ron started uh, last week. And just to shout out our pastors real quick, uh, man, we believe in a culture of honor here, and it's not celebrity or anything like that, but it's just to say that, man, Jerome and Crystal, not only did they lead us so well on retreat, but they have continued to lead our family through the past seven years, and I couldn't be more excited for the next lap that we're going to do for those seven. So give them a round of applause. So today, the title of the sermon has been Gone a Long Time When God Shows Up. And last week, Ron touched a little bit on the silence of God and when God is not there, when his presence isn't felt. And how do you respond to that? And, and like I said, this is going to be a continuation of that teaching. And this is something that actually comes deeply from my own heart, my own personal experience, because I felt the silence of God. And there were a lot of moments I didn't know how to respond. I had to learn and ask, God, what are you doing in this season when it feels like you're doing absolutely nothing? What do you do with that? So we're going to touch on that today, but I just want to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the text uh, and get started. Jesus, thank you for everybody here. God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that as Christmas is coming, as joy is entering the world, that before celebration, there is preparation. And so I pray our hearts would be prepared today, that you would make room in us so that we can receive the gift that you want to give us, that we can experience the joy and see you for ourselves. So speak to us today, Jesus. We trust you. We give our hearts to you. Praise in your mighty name. Amen. So what ended last week, the end of Malachi, right? Ron is teaching. And the end of Malachi ends with a promise. And so today we're actually going to start with promise. And the first text is this, Malachi 4, 4 through 6. And we're going to get into the scripture quite a bit. So just hang with me. It's a bit of reading to do if you want to pull that scripture up. It says this. This is the last words to Israel, God's people. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commended him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, here's the promise. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. See, the backdrop to this moment is God's been silent for 400 years. Right after this text is written, God disappears. No speaking, no prophets, no miracles, no activity. And Israel's prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And God's not responding. 
And you would think that they've known all these miracles, they've seen and read the stories in the scriptures that they would just continue to have faith, but it kind of makes sense like a lot of us because if you're anything like me, if I pray for 17 seconds, if I don't hear something or feel something, I'll start pouting. I'm like, man, God don't want to talk to me. (laughs) Man, you're not there, you know what I'm saying? I start pouting. You can imagine what 400 years does to someone's heart. Generation after generation after generation. That's a cool story. Yeah, your Jesus stuff is great, man. Christmas is cool. Love your holidays. Where's God at? Where's he at? But there's a promise in there. And so we're going to pick up with that promise. You see, Israel's been doing the same rituals. For those 400 years, they've still been faithful to God in some measure. They're still doing the same rituals. And we come in Luke 1. Zechariah is the high priest. He's an old man. He's well acquainted with the scriptures. And that year he gets chosen to go into the temple to appear before God in the center of the temple and represent Israel. Now, Zechariah is an old man and isn't the same in our culture, but he was praying for a kid. And to not have a kid was a shame on the family. Insert whatever shame you might be experiencing. And secretly, he's this God has been silent, and yet somehow he's still trying to maintain his hope that God's going to come through. So he's praying, but he's still doing these rituals to a God who's not talking back. And this is where you find Zechariah walking into the temple. And so our first text is Luke 1, 11 through 20. If you want to pull that up on the screen, I'm going to read a little bit. We'll jump in. It's a bit of a long story, and then we'll get to some of the points at the end. But here's what it says. Zechariah walks in the temple as Israel's representative, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing right uh, to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. His name will be John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. There will be joy, he will be a joy and delight, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And then here's the promise. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Promise. Zechariah is standing in the most holy place on planet earth in the entire universe, the locus point of God's presence and activity. And he gets a promise. Here's how he responds. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. And I'll be honest, I thought God was harsh. First time I read that, you kidding me? You haven't talked to his people in 400 years and now an angel shows up and he's just supposed to believe you like that? How? I guess you're God, so I just kind of got to deal with it. It's like, all right, okay. It's actually a lesson in there for us. See, after that, Zechariah's wife became pregnant, gave birth to John the Baptist, and he gets to speak, and eventually he writes one of the best worship songs in all of Scripture. The story continues. We really want to get some context. Verse 26 through 35. In the sixth month of that pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent to God in a town called Galilee of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. 
Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And she talks about the son of the most high being Jesus and he will reign over Israel forever. And then Mary asked the exact same question. How can this be since I've had no sexual relations with a man? And then the angel gives a different response. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. And I was like, what are you doing, God? You were so rough with Zechariah. And then with Mary, you get a completely different response. How is that possible? I think it's because you've got two different hearts, but the same story. Two different hearts, same question. For those of you who have kids in the room, you know when your kids are having an attitude and they don't trust you, and their how question, how question looks like, man, how you gonna do that anyway? It's not full of faith. I'm speaking about myself. I got that attitude. I naturally have that little attitude in me. It's really native to me. Um, and you get a kid with that type of posture, right? When I mean, they're not sure they're gonna get what they want, and so they're skeptical. But I think the contrast that the scriptures are trying to paint between these two people is that there's a way of responding to God after disappointment, after the gap, after the silence, after the diagnosis, after the family that doesn't look like how you want it. There's a way of responding, and it's based upon what's in your heart. See, the text says that Mary wondered what type of greeting this could be. She was coming humble. I think it's because human beings were hardwired against disappointment. We're hardwired against disappointment. And sometimes cynicism feels safer than faith. It feels safer because we've been disappointed so often. I think what spoke to me most in this, because I was going through a season where God was silent for a matter of years, and I didn't know where he was. And it was a mixture of dreams and also uh, failed dreams and, and prayer that didn't seem to work. And, and I wonder, God, where are you at? I don't get it. And what first jumped out at me was that the silence was God's activity towards Israel. See, the problem in Malachi wasn't that God was stingy, wasn't that God didn't love Israel, wasn't that he was, wasn't present. It's that Israel had forgotten to value God for God. Instead of having God's presence as the center of their life and being, they valued being a wealthy nation that was powerful and set apart. And so God became like a coupon on top of their life. It's like, oh, that's $100, cool. Let me just cash that a little bit. Make my life better. And God was just something to be tacked on. He wasn't valued. He wasn't worshiped the same. But it started to speak to me. I mean, God could have done anything to Zechariah, but he chose silence. Isn't that telling? He chose silence. And it's because I think God wanted to grow Israel and he wants to grow you and me. You see, in that space, in that 400 years, God wasn't trying to just punish Israel. God was inviting Israel to grow up. In the same way that a good parent, when you discipline your kid because they don't have the character to steward what you've given them, right? Sometimes it looks like timeout, right? Israel got put in timeout and God was giving them space to wonder, space to think, space to look at their own hearts, to examine themselves and say, God, okay, what is it that you want? Because maybe we've been off a little bit. See, you and I are not formed by our accomplishments. We're not formed by that. We're formed by our pursuits. What you and I look at, what we gaze at, what we value, and what we chase, that's what changes us. 
And see, God wanted Israel and God wanted you and he wants me and he wants every single one of us to grow to a place where we value what God values. We're in the Been Gone a Long Time series, right? This whole song is about how do you define success? What do you, de- what you define as valuable? And in the Christmas season, I'll be honest, emotions get heightened. The joys get really high and the lows get really low, don't they? The gap is huge. And I've had the privilege in my life where coming up, I haven't experienced a lot of death in my family until recently. But coming up, I haven't experienced some of that. And so holidays have always been everyone's in the room and, and it's celebration and it's food and it's joy. But then there are some of you in this room where life doesn't look like the way you want it to. And you've prayed and you've asked God and you've begged, why God, why so long? And it's a fair question. It's a fair question. But I've also found that God doesn't necessarily answer all of our why questions. Instead, God is inviting you into pursuit. He's inviting you to chase him because when you chase him, when you're defiant and you say, you know what, God, you promised you'd be with me. You promised you'd be close. You promised you would speak to me. You said, when I call, you'll answer. Hope is defiant, y'all. It gets in your face. You ever been on the other side of a little kid? This happens a lot of times. I won't pick on anyone specific, but you tell the kids something. You're like, yo, we're gonna go to McDonald's. And for six weeks straight, every time they see you, when we going to McDonald's, man? When we going to McDonald's? When we hanging out? Hope is defiant. Why? Because it's based on confidence in the character of the person who promised. But if you're like Israel and you're anything like me, that gap can start to do something in our heart. It can start to change you. It can start to make you think that, man, the person who promised isn't really as good as he or she said. I wonder how many awkward conversations Zachariah had to have. I just wonder. This dude's a priest in the temple and he's probably like 60, 70, 80. How many times did people ask him, God, where are you? Zachariah, you're in the temple, bro, what's up? Did you hear from him? Did you hear from him? You got a word for me? How many times? How many doubts? How many questions? I love holidays because what they force us to do is they force us to examine ourselves. What we actually believe. You see, I think Zachariah and Mary paint a really cool picture of who we are. Because both doubted. Let me just destigmatize something real quick. Doubt is not bad. Walking into church this morning, I wondered is God real? Is any of this worth it? And what the heck am I doing with my life? Anyone else been there? Fair, right? Day to day, Monday comes. I didn't see you today, God. I didn't get an email in the morning. God, hey, what's up? Hey, Devin, how are you? Here's seven things I want you to think about this week. No. I didn't get that. And you have to ask yourself the question, what do you do with those doubts? What do you do with those questions? How do you answer them? The point is, is that doubt is how you change. Doubt is how you grow, it's how you develop. It forces you to ask more questions, it forces you to pursue. But I think the place that Zachariah asked the question from was a place of looking for a reason not to believe. And the place that Mary asked from was a place of looking for a reason to believe. It's actually what's under the doubt that's the issue. That's what God wants to address today in your heart and in mine. God wants to ask, do you still have confidence in my character despite the gap, despite what you do or don't see? And the list is endless, y'all. 
endless. Oftentimes we talk about deconstruction and just to hit that really quick, deconstruction is not a bad thing. We all deconstruct all the time. You deconstruct bad ideas so that you can reconstruct good ideas. But the point is reconstruction. It's not to level your life. It's to build a working worldview. And so in the same way, doubt leads to deconstruction and then a healthy reconstruction in light of who God actually is. We've all got good ideas and bad ideas about ourselves, about God, and we grow and we change over life. That's how it works. It happens, it's natural. But in that process, God waits to be wanted. He waits. He's a good dad. I got to coach basketball at Eastern, and one of my favorite things is watching kids prepare, watching them train. I'll be honest, a lot of times the coach will stand back like this, you don't even say anything, he's be watching. Oh, okay, what's he doing? He touched the line? No, he didn't touch the line, okay. Yeah, we got another lap. It's a real thing. The teacher presents himself when the student is ready, y'all. And like a good coach, God was waiting for Israel to grow up to see if they would develop the character because in the test actually is where you get trained. Before you ever get playing time on the court with, on my team, hey man, I gotta see some grit beforehand. I gotta see the grind. And then you'll have the character to steward the gift. But if you don't have the character, then how can I trust you on the court? if I can't even trust you with the practice rep. In the same way, God was calling Israel to grow, to be bigger than what they were, but it was based on the promise that he was still there no matter what. See, oftentimes we think that God's silence means that God has abandoned us, but the truth is if you're here today and God is silent to you, his absence is actually a form of his presence. Maybe he's inviting you to ask questions. Maybe he's inviting you to think and see differently because you think Zechariah was expecting an answer from God after 400 years? No. Trained in the faith, 80 years old, knows all the miracles, but his heart got exposed. He wasn't expecting it. And then God showed up and the test came. I love how gracious God is because he didn't cut Zechariah off. He didn't kill him. He didn't say, I'm never talking to you again. He said, all right, man, nine months. You got to chill a little bit longer, extra lap, extra lap, extra lap and then your son's gonna come. And then the same way, Mary, because her heart was based on hope, because she was looking for a reason to trust Yahweh, God responded, and he gave her an answer. And so the distance is meant for the chase. And God wants to restore your hope today. If you're anything like me, my bent is, like I mentioned earlier, I, I naturally have a skeptical bent personality, maybe family of origin, upbringing, story, things that have happened in my life, disappointment. But naturally, I am bent towards questioning. I'm suspect. Why are you saying it like that? Hmm, what you think? I'm working on it. The Lord's working on me, I promise. Jasmine, don't laugh at me. <laughs> She's like, I know, I, I know. He's intense sometimes. Most times, that's good. But my period of silence where God wasn't present to me in a way that I could feel, see, or understand was actually God's invitation to soften. See, I dealt with entitlement just like Israel did and still do. I dealt with anger and I should have this thing. But the invitation of Christmas, the invitation of Yahweh coming into the world is, is God's already coming, bro, so prepare yourself. Bible scholars in the room, what was John the Baptist's role? Anybody know? You can shout it out. Okay, Drum Cyrus. Preparing the way for Jesus. 
Told you he's a scholar, man. It's awesome. Dude, hey, he gonna, pre- he gonna preach like next week. <laughs> I read this passage and I thought to myself, why in the heck was John needed? When God steps on planet Earth, why do you need a human being to make space for him? Why? It doesn't make any sense. Jesus steps into the world and does miracles. And somehow we're still blind. I think, if I'm honest, I'm a lot more like Zachariah than I want to admit. I can be standing in the center of the movement of God in the temple, the holiest place on planet earth, an angelic being that no human being has ever seen comes and talks to me, and I'm still hard-headed enough to doubt. Ask my mom. She calls me a buckethead sometimes. I'm hard-headed. It's facts. Chris is like, yeah. We can be in the center of a move of God, church leader that I am, church attender that you are, leader in whatever your sphere is. You can be in the center of God's activity in your life and not see it. And yet he's been pursuing you the whole time. And you'll look back 20 years and you'll say, man, he was close. He was closer than I ever thought. And the whole time I was grouchy and entitled and angry and frustrated, and why don't I have this, 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 or this? Why does my life look like how I want it to? Because God is communicating to you that the only thing that you need is himself. The only thing you need is God's presence. But he wants to call pursuit out of you. And oftentimes when we hear the word pursuit in a Christian context, we think, all right, read my Bible more, worship more, serve more, do more things. No, pursuit of God in the Christian context is not about intensity, it's about honesty. Israel wanted God's stuff more than they wanted God. And God wanted them to bring that out. See, because the sin wasn't just not wanting God. The sin was their unwillingness to bring that desire and that lack of desire for God to him. The greater sin was not being themselves before their God. But again, it begins and ends with promise. Malachi 4 says that God is coming back and he's always been there. But Israel needed a John the Baptist. Zechariah needed one so that they could be ready for when Jesus came and still sometimes they rejected him. Isn't that crazy? They had John, they had miracles, they had everything and somehow they still missed him. I'm gonna call the worship team back up because I want us to redefine what success is. Success today for you, you might have a list and some things that you want God to do in your life. And guess what? Ask. He is a healer. He really is. Miracles happen. Life change happen. He can put your family back together. It's real. I've seen it. But what do you do when he doesn't? What do you do? I think what God is trying to speak to Israel and what God was saying to us is that he wants us to make room for his coming. We watched this movie on retreat. Oh, it's called Home. Anyone seen it? The little aliens? Super cute. I'd never seen it. 2015. It's a gem. And there's a moment where this really awkward boob, I won't spoil everything. The aliens are called boobs. But he's preparing this party. He's getting everything together, right? He's got the streamers up. He's got the super weird snacks. He's got all this stuff going. And then no one shows to the party. And he's so sad. And he starts to get frantic. He's like finding, running around looking for people. And we're just like that boob. We're hardwired against disappointment. 
And when we're disappointed, we get frantic. But I think what God is inviting you today is to say, hey, I'm not like the people who aren't gonna show up to your party. And guess what? If you don't get what you want, it's not gonna kill you. Why? Because the one thing that you need is the one thing that you're always gonna have. And guess what? It's my presence. The one thing that you need in your life over everything that you can think of that's running through the list in your mind is the presence of God. And it's coming. But when the test comes, when the disappointment arrives, will you be ready? Will your heart be ready? You'll know you're ready if you begin to prepare for the Lord Jesus. That's my invitation today. We all don't want to be disappointed. We're afraid of our hope putting us to shame. But I got a promise for you. Hebrews 6, 19, if you want to bring that up. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. That language is not an accident. Revelation 21.5. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. You and I have a hope today that cannot fade. It cannot die. It can't go anywhere because the one thing you need, God has already provided. And if you trust him, if you believe in him, if you have hope in him, his invitation today is to prepare yourself because guess what, next week joy is coming. Shout out Christmas, y'all, it's awesome. But in the meantime, if you really believe, yo, get ready. Israel didn't have space in their heart for God. Will you make room in yours? Because that hope is can't be destroyed, can't be lost. Nothing you do can lose it. None of your mistakes, none of your failures, none of your I don't measure ups, none of your I should be somewhere or I ought to do this. The hope we have in Jesus, it's not going anywhere. But the question today is, will you respond to that hope? The worship team is gonna lead us in that song, Getting Ready because I think that's God's invitation to every person here today. Let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll get out of here. Jesus, we're just human beings. We're just human beings and we're frail and we forget sometimes, we forget. But God, I pray that we would remember. Just like Ron said last week, God, I pray that we would remember your promises. We would remember your faithfulness. We remember all the times you did show up and that we wouldn't look for a reason to not believe God, but that we would look for reasons to believe. That we would have our eyes looking for Jesus. That in the midst of a valley, in the midst of a pit, in the midst of something difficult, God, that our eyes would be open and looking for you. That we would see you in our moments of pain. We would see you in our moments of suffering. God, you are our ultimate hope. And we confess of every, any time and every time that we have put our hope in something lesser than you, something that would disappoint us. And we thank you that your son Jesus came, that he's invited us in again and again and again, pursued us again and again in all the times that we've ran and we've been unfaithful. So I just ask you, Jesus, that you would, you would open our eyes to see you. You would give us the courage to prepare ourselves for your coming. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hello, hello. God is after you, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it. And there is a joy coming, and there's not a thing in this world that can stop it. So I pray this week that you would experience that, you would see that. And as we prepare for Christmas and we prepare for the celebration of the greatest moment in human history, Emmanuel, God with us, and we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear that God is speaking to every one of you today, maybe in a way you don't expect. We'll be here next week, 11.30 only, Christmas service. You know what I'm saying? Celebrating. It's going to be awesome. Opening the present of Jesus. And then afterwards, we'll have the love the city, love the workers like we do every single year. Bring your family. It'll be a family service. And if you're curious today about what is city life, who the heck are these people, what are they even talking about, why do they exist, you can head to Get Connected out those doors down the hall in the shared office, and you can hear more about us. But we'll be here next week, 1130, all races, all faces, all ages. We're going to keep loving the city one life at a time, and we won't stop until Jesus makes all things new. Have the best day of your lives.